the way we love each other, different ages, different races, different classes, different abilities, speaks to a watching world that you have the secret of life, which is how God is going to save sinners. Welcome to the God-Centered Life with Josh Moody, moving into chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, verses 1 through 13, for a study we're calling Don't Lose Heart. It's part of our Heavenly Places series. Josh Moody is senior pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. I'm Tom Steve. Thanks for joining us for this study today. Josh, sadly, the reports of folks losing hope seem to be increasing at a tragic rate these days. Mm -hmm. Our study today, yes, it may be for someone else, but may also be for that part of us that we keep hidden. Uh, Mental health issues can be quite a challenge to be upfront about, can't they? Mm -hmm. Uh, And we can easily feel judged if we admit to feelings of sadness or depression or anxiety or something like that. And even if it isn't in any way clinical, though it may be, it can also be quite challenging to address. And without trying to do complicated counseling in 30 seconds on air, hmm. at the end of the day, we do have something here that means we do not need to lose heart. And I hope it will be a wonderful encouragement to, uh, to us all. Josh Moody is the teacher, but God is the speaker who's saying you have hope. Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 13. Here's Josh. I want to introduce uh, this passage this way. There was a particular man I have in my mind who around 1,500 or so times, it is said, he tried to be cast in a movie to be accepted in a movie. And he was rejected at least 1,500 times. His uh, finances got so bad at some point that uh, he couldn't keep the lights on. So then he had a dog, and in order to turn the lights back on, he sold his dog for $35, and he could turn the lights back on. He actually was homeless for a while in the New Jersey Port Authority. He found a place to bed down for the night there for a couple of months. He wrote another script that was accepted, and... He insisted that he would star in that script. And the movie was so successful that it spawned a whole bunch of other movies. And the franchises continued. Of course, I'm talking about Rocky. Sylvester Stallone, one of the greatest movie celebrities of our era. I guess it's not surprising, given the bat story of his life, how a lot of his stories tend to be about someone who could have given up but did not, could have lost heart, as the Apostle Paul is urging them not to here, to not lose heart. At one point in one of the movies, he says, what counts is not how hard you can hit. What counts is how hard you can get hit and then get back up again. It's easy to give up. What's hard is keeping going. What's hard is getting hit hard and then getting back up again. That's hard. Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians to encourage them. We're at one of the key moments of the letter where he's saying to them, do not lose heart. The reason, of course, why they were being tempted to lose heart is, as he says here, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was in jail. He was a prisoner for proclaiming the gospel. And therefore, the Ephesians who believed that gospel must have been feeling if the Apostle Paul 
is thrown in jail, who's next? If the leader is thrown in jail, well, they're after us next. And so he tells them, don't lose heart. But he doesn't just tell them not to lose heart. He gives them reasons. I think at least you can pick out three basic reasons that he has in this passage. So first, don't lose heart first because you have a home. Now the emphasis on home is a little hidden in our translations and it's not a fault of our translations. It's the trickiness of translating a particular key word in the letter. So in verse 2 of chapter 3, the word that is translated stewardship is the Greek word oikonomia, related to a home, a house, the rules of the house, household management. If you look it up in a dictionary, that's often what it says. And so hence it's sometimes translated stewardship, emphasizing management. But the basic idea in the word is a home that needs to be looked after right and stewarded. The house, the rules of God's house, God's home. This word, oikonomia, Paul uses right beforehand in chapter 2. The root of that word is then translated in different ways. So verse 19, the household of God. The root of that word is in, in the original, or structure, or being built, or dwelling place. In fact, it's been a theme of the Apostle Paul's right from the beginning of the letter. If you go to chapter 1 and verse 10, you'll see there he talks about that um, God has set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on on earth. Well, that plan is oikonomia. So I think, basically, the Apostle Paul is saying something like this. You Ephesians, uh, you are being excluded from many houses. You've left the membership of the house of the goddess of Artemis. And the house of Rome, the citizenship of the Roman Empire, is one that is at least a difficult place for you to exist in because you have to worship Caesar as Lord. And yet Jesus is Lord. You're increasingly feeling this pressure. I know that because I'm in jail for preaching Jesus is Lord. But I want to encourage you not to lose heart because you have a home. I want you to think of God's plan for his people a bit like a master of a house. God has a home for his people. He's been planning it from the beginning of time. And that home includes all nations, not just the Jewish people, but all the different nations. All peoples in Christ are at home in God's house. And he's had that plan, and it is now being fulfilled in the church. In 2006, a fisherman from the Philippines caught a pearl, and he was particularly enamored by this pearl, so he... He brought it back home and he put it under his bed as a kind of good luck charm or something like that. 
Ten years later, he kept it in his home of ten years. Ten years later, an expert in pearls was traveling through the region and found out that he had a pearl kept in his house under his bed and asked to have a look at it, and the fisherman brought it out. It turned out that this pearl was probably the largest pearl that had ever been discovered, naturally grown pearl. It weighs 52 pounds, two foot long, one foot wide. It's worth a lot. The previous largest ever discovered is one-sixth the size, and it's worth about $35 million. Imagine, well, six times as much, I suppose. And he kept it at home, locked away, under his bed, not appreciating its value. I think many of us have a similar sort of underappreciation of the church. The pearl of great price is the gospel. And it brings us together in the home of all ages, all nations. You belong. You're here by grace. It's your home. Don't lose heart. Reason number one to not lose heart. You have a home. Reason number two up next. But first, we'd love to hear from you. Wherever you call home right now geographically, we have folks listening all across the world, and it's so encouraging to hear from folks that we don't even know were joining us. So if that's you, drop us a line. You can do so at our website, GodCenteredLife.org. We'd be so encouraged to hear from you. Back into Ephesians now. Here's Josh. But then second, says the Apostle Paul, I've got another reason why you shouldn't lose heart. And I'm going to emphasize it over and over again in this section so you get it. And it's to do with this mystery. So not only don't lose heart because you have a home, but also don't lose heart because you know the secret to life, the mystery. And he defines what he means by mystery in verse 6. He says this, this mystery is that the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish nations, are fellow heirs... Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He there is using a set of with words, fellow heirs, members of the same body, and joint partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And almost certainly I think he's using these three with words, hoping that his readers, as they study what he's written, will get the connections. The connections are these. In chapter 2, he has said that we are alive with Christ and we're raised with Christ and we're seated with Christ. Three with words. And then a little bit later in chapter 2, he says, and that means that we are with each other as his people. We, We relate with each other for we've been raised with Christ three times repeated and now when it comes to the mystery of the gospel the secret that you know he uses another set of three with words with the body with the partakers uh, with heirs fellow heirs what I think the apostle Paul is saying is something like this I want you to realize Ephesians the gospel is much bigger than perhaps you're tempted to think Yes, the gospel is about your personal relationship with Jesus. You've been raised with him and you have a new relationship with God. That is what the gospel is about, but it's bigger than that. The gospel also then impacts your relationships with other people in the church, the community of God's people. 
But he says it's even bigger than that. Because of the gospel, three times over repeated, another set of three with words, you Christians have the secret, the mystery, the secret that has now been revealed, the hidden mystery of God, the hidden mystery of God being how God is going to save people. How is it possible that God who is holy and loving is going to reconcile those two things, fulfill his promise given to Abraham and Moses and all the rest of the Old Testament, to bring all nations together under one banner in his grace and love. How is that possible? And it's revealed in the New Testament at the cross where Jesus died for our sins. And he's saying, you, you Christians, you have the secret to life. And every time you relate as Christians in the home, in the church, you are preaching that mystery. People often talk about the significance of community in church. If you read strategic documents about how to do church these days, they'll go on and on and on about how everyone's looking for community. We live in an isolated age, always on our screens, and everyone's looking for community, for sure. But the point of the community of the church is not just that it's a community. The point of the community of the church is it's revealing the mystery of the gospel. That this is how God saves people. Paul will make a similar point a little bit later when he comes to talk about husbands and wives and how a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. This is a mystery, he says, a profound mystery, but I'm talking about how Christ loves the church. In other words, the way a husband loves his wife is revealing in practice, in daily life, how much God loves his people through the death of Jesus on the cross. And similarly, the way we love each other, different ages, different races, different classes, different abilities, speaks to a watching world that you have the secret of life, which is how God is going to save sinners. It's a bit like this. There's a story of a man who was stuck in a hole he fell down the hole, the sides of the hole were very slippery, he couldn't get back up again, you know, that sort of thing. So he's there stuck in a hole and he's obviously calling out for help and the first person who comes along is a psychiatrist. And I've got nothing against psychiatrists, I think they're wonderful people, I've got many friends who are psychiatrists. So don't, if you're a psychiatrist here this morning, don't feel that I'm about to get at you, I'm not. There's a priest in a moment, so you know, all things are equal. <laughs> So um, anyway, the first person who comes along is a psychiatrist and he sees the guy stuck in a hole and he looks down and he goes into his medicine bag and he gets out some Prozac and he gives him some pills. You know, you'll feel better. Well, I guess he does feel better, but he's still stuck in the hole. A bit later, as the man keeps on calling out for help, a priest comes along. Here's the priest. So the priest looks down the hole and sees the man stuck there and thinks to himself, well, I, uh, I believe in prayer. And of course, prayer is very powerful and we believe in prayer as a church. And it's not like prayer is the last thing we, we should do. You know, if you can't do anything else, pray. No, prayer is doing something. But for the purpose of the story, the priest decides to pray. And he prays specifically that the man stuck in the hole would realize all that God has given him that is good, though he is stuck in the hole. Oh Lord, may his eyes be open to the fact that he's still alive, though he's stuck in a hole. 
So the priest goes on his way, packing himself on the back, having prayed a good prayer and all that. Finally, along comes a friend. And the friend jumps in the hole. And the guy who was stuck in the hole looks at his friend and says, well, what are you doing here? What's the point of this? Now we're both stuck in the hole. And the friend says, ah, but I've been in this hole before, and I know the way out. And he leads him out. He has the secret, the secret to life. If you're a Christian, you by definition know the way out. You've been saved. The mystery has been revealed to you. And the way we relate to each other, jumping in the hole of other Christians around us, loving each other, rescuing those who are not yet Christians, speaking the gospel, all that, says the Apostle Paul, shows that you know the secret to life. I don't lose heart. People since time immemorial have been searching into these things. They've been trying to figure out how it is that God and his love, yet his justice will rescue people. And you know it isn't the Roman Empire and the Roman gods. It isn't goddess Artemis. It isn't relativistic pluralism today, all these other religions. It's Jesus, and you know it. And the way you relate together speaks that message. So don't lose heart. You have a home. You know the secret to life. And then most of all, says the Apostle Paul, and I think it's the culmination of what he's saying here before he returns to his, where he was going to go. We'll look at chapter 3 next week. The climax of this bit, you get glory, the most of all. This is the third reason. You have a home, you know the secret to life, you get glory third. That's why not to lose heart. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And notice what he does not say. He does not say, which means one day you'll get to go to glory. What Paul is talking about is that the suffering that he's experiencing right now for Jesus in jail for preaching the gospel is giving them glory. Obviously, there's eternal glory to come. It's only a foretaste. It's not the whole thing yet. But they are experiencing it. Though he's suffering, and not only though he's suffering, because he's suffering. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It's for you, which is your glory. It's amazing. It's an amazing thought. The Apostle Paul, I think, is saying something like this. Ephesian Christians, when you see that I'm in jail and I've been busy church planting and preaching all the rest, and now I've been thrown in jail, and I'm in Rome. In fact, I've been there quite a long time. Almost certainly he'd been there about five years by now. And you're beginning to think, well, you know, this is a bit of a downer. And could it be me next? I want you to realize that there's a pattern. And I want you to pick up that pattern It's a substitutionary pattern, an exchange pattern, which is for you, giving his life for you. And I want you to realize that that pattern works in the Christian life. 
there are sufferings for Jesus. Are sufferings that reveal the glory in the present in a way that they will only be fully fulfilled in the future? Something like that. And therefore, Ephesians, don't lose heart. Don't think to yourself when you're under pressure in Ephesus about that Artemis god down the road with the huge temple, one of the seven wonders of the world. Don't think for yourself, oh, forget that for a bunch of bananas. I'm off to somewhere nicer. Actually, the opposition that you're facing that's the time you're going to see God's glorious power at work. It is the pattern. One of the great ancient Christian leaders called Tertullian put it like this. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Of course, it isn't just blood or just jail. It's when we're under pressure for our Christian faith, at school, at work, in the culture and we're feeling opposed the apostle Paul is saying right there is your glory opposition days they are glory days that's the pattern no cross, no crown crucifixion, resurrection The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I'm in jail, which is suffering, which is for your glory. That's the pattern. And if it is true, therefore, that the culture is becoming less Christian, which I suppose it is true, what that means is, if we're faithful, then in the future they'll look back on these days And they'll say, those were their glory days. It's what the Chinese church uh, says with the opposition that it faced in the mid-20th century when the Chinese missionaries were kicked out and everyone wondered what would happen to the church. What actually happened to the church is it massively increased. But of course it requires us not losing heart. That's Josh Moody, and this is The God-Centered Life. Powerful coupling there. Helping others may be the best way for us, we who know the way out of the hole, mm-hmm. to reference your illustration, yeah. to raise our own spirits. And uh, so true. Uh, Paul's statement that his suffering in jail is providing glory for, mm-hmm. and I believe you were saying that glory for the church in Ephesus. I want to revisit that yeah. momentarily because you said it's a substitutionary pattern, yeah. which I would assume represents the cross. Right. His suffering is a reminder. Is that what's going on there? Yes. Yeah, so his suffering is for them. It's for their benefit. It's so that they would uh, hear the gospel, experience the gospel, and therefore experience glory. And the Apostle Paul in his missionary suffering is a echo of Christ's atoning sacrifice. And so those of us who serve Jesus, and Jesus talked about this, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. As we go on our to tell other people about Jesus, if it costs us something, as it so often will, we are not only doing that in a self-sacrificial way because that's sometimes what it takes to reach someone. 
in the very way we live, we're representing the same heart of Jesus who gave his life for us. And so we echo Hmm. in some very small manner the great, amazing sacrifice of God incarnate at the cross. We echo, and that's a reminder to us, which, like a communion service, a reminder Ah, of what's taking place. Yeah. Got it. Fantastic. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Uh, We get prayer requests here at the God-Centered Life, and a lot of them have to do with wisdom in raising a family. And one of the challenges in raising a family is the conversation around sexuality. And that's why uh, we think it's an important read. Rethinking Sexuality, God's Design and Why It Matters. And it's our offer this month. GodCenteredLife.org, a gift of any amount. We will send it your way. Next time we get together, uh, so you mean everybody? I want you, church, to have love for each other, to comprehend with everyone else in the church, with all the other network of churches, all the saints, the old ones, the young ones, the easy-to-get-along ones, the ones who are slightly less easygoing, all the saints. Continuing our look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 3 in the focus, GodCenteredLife.org, resources for you. And we hope you're going to join us right here around God's Word when we next gather here at the God-Centered Life with Josh Moody. Josh Moody.